1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. It is a Thursday. It is February 15th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. And let's set the scene here with today's poll questions, and we'll get things started over at KDOS1060.com. It involves the Texas Rangers, and if you missed any of the conversation Bob had with Stefan Stevenson inside the Rangers at Stefan versus Texas on X, you can always podcast that conversation over at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app. But the question here for the defending World Series champs, is it over or under 86 wins in 2024? Over sitting at 55% of the vote, under sitting at 45%. Now, for those of you who think this might be a little low, you remember a couple of things. Jordan Montgomery means unsigned. He's a Scott Boris client. The top four free agents that are unsigned so far are all, you know, to this point, I should say, are all Scott Boris clients. Also, they have the television contract situation going on in Texas. Plus, uh, as far as the Rangers' rotation, yeah, Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom are not going to be starting the season after their surgeries in the last year, and neither of those guys expected to pitch before the All-Star break. We will officially provide our answer for that around 12.30 today. Tossing it on over to X at KDOS AM 1060 should the Cardinals re-sign. Free agent wide receiver Hollywood Brown and the masses are on the no side of things at 55.6% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 44.4%. Yes, uh, there are a lot of the free agent lists out there now, the top free agents and so forth. I saw a top 50 list at foxsports.com yesterday, and Brown was the only Cardinals player in that top 50, which is not surprising considering you know, they had very few veteran players last year. Uh, obviously, he's the only one that's you know, really – well, he's not the only one, but the only one that would maybe get any interest elsewhere uh, that would you know, at least command some kind of contract elsewhere. I'm sure some other guys will catch on somewhere. Uh, but he was the only list uh, – the top 50 free agents, he was the only Cardinal listed uh, by FoxSports.com. We will get into a bit of that listing a little bit later on in the show. We'll go through the top 10 free agents, and then we'll also go through uh, the list, therefore, after the top 10 that had some Cardinals linked to them potentially as potential landing spots. So we'll do that in our number two. Uh, as it is, though, we'll take your phone calls if you'd like to chime in. 602-260-1060 is the number, and you can do so today around 1130 and 1215. 602-260-1060. Let's start here with the Phoenix Suns, and it was a 116-100 to win for them over the Pistons last night. Uh, the game 
It wasn't as close as the score indicated. The game also uh, saw Devin Booker ejected 524 into the game after his second technical foul. Kellen Olson of Arizona Sports was the pool reporter following last night's contest with crew chief Carl Lane. Here's the bit of the exchange here. Question, why was Devin Booker assessed his first technical foul? Answer, for continually complaining, and after he'd been warned, he continued to complain again towards a game official. Question, was it just a continuance or was language involved? Answer, it was more about the continuance after he had been warned to stop and he continued to complain. Question, after the second technical foul, he gets ejected, so was that more continuance? No, the second technical foul was for disparaging remarks he made towards a game official, and then he was ejected for the second one. Question, was it the escalation that warranted the ejection early in the game? Answer, the comment that he made met our standards and warranted the technical foul, the second technical foul, which uh, led to the ejection. So Devin Booker finished 2 of 5 for the night, one rebound, one assist, one steal, seven points, uh, and the complaints there got him tossed just about five minutes into the game. Something we've talked about over the years, as recently as last week, um, he's got to just tone it down. I understand that he feels he's being wronged by the officials. Uh, you know, they're lucky they were playing the worst team in the NBA last night, and it wasn't a good opponent. Uh, for instance, if this had happened the night before when they were playing Sacramento, they might have lost that game because Sacramento is good. Detroit is not. Uh, but he's, you know, as I mentioned, uh, the uh, I don't watch a ton of NBA games during the regular season, but I certainly watch playoff games every year, every pretty much every minute of every playoff game every year. And uh, the only other player that I've seen in the last couple of years complain more to the officials is uh, Luka Doncic. And uh, everybody thinks he's one of the biggest crybabies of all time. Uh, there might be somebody else I'm just missing. But he's got to just simmer down and accept it when somebody, you know, when basically a call does not go his way. And, uh, you know, him carrying on yesterday, it was just, I, you know, it was, they're playing the Pistons. Just shut up and let's get this game over with and don't get hurt. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I got a question, you know, officials, they're, they're human. Uh, so being talked to all the time and kind of getting, uh, graded on and everything like that, how does that impact, um, things in the regular season and then moving forward in the playoffs? I know you're not supposed to, you're supposed to leave all of that behind, but can that be negative, uh, in a playoff situation? Uh, not just a playoff situation, but just a regular season game like last night with one of the you know one of the supposed best teams in the league and against the worst team in the league. Yeah, you know, I think uh, you can just kind of take this away from basketball. If you're around somebody who complains about things all the time, that just gets old and you get tired of hearing about it. Uh, no matter what the language is, and it appears the language was not an issue last night, but it's just uh, there's got to be some kind of residual effect. Uh, I mean, you know, if you, you just you, you're gonna bitch to me again, just you know, simmer down. And they gave him a warning, and basically he didn't simmer down. And see you later, bye. Uh, also, I have to wonder if 
there was a little bit from the officials just trying to make sure things didn't escalate and get out of hand yes. in general for the whole night because the tone was set before the game even started between Pistons center forward Isaiah Stewart as well as Drew Eubanks. Uh, they had come together face to face in the um, in the the outside of the arena as you're walking toward the locker rooms and then according to Eubanks quote just walking in and words were said and got sucker punched and security stepped in and that was that after the game Stewart was arrested arrested issued a citation and released according to Mark McClune of Channel 5 but that could have potentially set the tone for uh, wanting to make sure that things really didn't get out of hand well in fact Durant Kevin Durant after the game said that you know he didn't really blame a paraphrasing here but he didn't really blame the officials for trying to you know, you know, calm down the situation uh, you know, during the game because of what happened in the pregame or, you know, it was way before the pregame. That was like, you know, as you mentioned, when he stepped into the arena. Uh, I have no idea what that was about, whether it was a University of Washington, Oregon State thing from a few years. I have no idea if uh, they had some issues then. Uh, but there was obviously an issue yesterday, and – you know, the thing with Stewart, he wasn't even going to play last night. He was already hurt. I mean, on the injured list. Uh, yeah, he wasn't even going to be a part of the game. Uh, it's not a whole lot to dissect from the game, as you mentioned. The Suns are, you know, fifth in the West. The Pistons are one of the, if not the worst team in the NBA. Uh, KD, he played 30 minutes, 8 of 13, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 blocks, 25 points. Nurkic, just 22 minutes, 10 points, 13 boards. Gordon, 24 minutes. Uh, Allen, 27 minutes. Royce O'Neal here, 24 minutes, 3 of 6 from three, seven rebounds, three assists, and nine points. Uh, so not really a whole lot to get into game-wise here. Just good to get a win against the team that you're supposed to win against and set yourself up here for the All-Star break. Yeah, this game was 23-23, to and then the Suns went on a 47-18 to run for the rest of the half. Uh, they led 70-41 to at halftime. Uh, yeah, Durant didn't even play in the fourth quarter. No reason for him to be playing in the fourth quarter. At one point, uh, this game was 90-64. to 64. Uh, The only drama, as I mentioned during the sports zone, was whether they were going to cover the 13.5-point spread. They won by you know, 16, so they covered that. Uh, you know, Saban Lee, who has only played like 12 games this season before last night, ended up with 16 points. That just kind of, you know, they obviously were short on guards with Beal out because of the hamstring from Tuesday night and then Booker's early ejection, but... Uh, yeah, Lee took advantage of the opportunity and scored 16 points. And, you know, he is, uh, is obviously with just the 12 games played previously is uh, seldom had a chance to contribute this year. Uh, then when it comes down to just curious what you think about now the all-star break here and so perceptions of the suns up until this point here i think we all know uh that you don't think that their defense is championship caliber and i know that they tried to do what they could getting royce o'neill with very limited uh of capital that they had to try to make any sort of moves before the trade deadline that probably was the best possible outcome for them to help solidify some of the defensive questions that you have but how about another part of the game the offense and specifically the offense with the big three uh is it rounding into a lot of that scoring that you thought you would see from the big three i don't think this season has really gone a whole lot differently than i thought it would go in july 
that they'd score a whole lot of points. I didn't realize there would be this many points scored in the NBA this season when I was talking about that. Uh, but, you know, they're going to outscore teams, especially the bad teams uh, on most nights. And last night's an example of that. And they didn't even have the big three with Beal out and Booker ejected. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're a really good offensive team. They're a really bad defensive team. Uh, they're a suspect rebounding team. I'm not all that surprised about all the turnovers that they've had in many games, including key times of uh, fourth quarters this year when they've lost a lot of leads uh, because they don't have a point guard. Uh, so there's really, I don't think there's really anything uh, collectively that has surprised me about the Suns' season to this point. Um, so when they come back from the all-star break though, is there anything that you want to see? Uh, and maybe this is two different questions want to see and are capable of them doing, uh, from the stretch run to April that will change your mind about this team. That is two different questions. In my opinion, that's That's, that's fine. That's no problem. I just got to remember two things. That's, that's, that's your risk. Um, <laughs> so, so, so the first thing is, I, I want to see how we don't have any idea. Even you know, O'Neal's been here for less than a week. Uh, we have no idea, basically, through on th- three three games of how this is going to work because, yeah, you know, we've had the Beal thing. You've had the, the Booker ejection. Yeah, you know, they haven't been at full strength for the most part in those games. So I've got no idea how this is all going to break down. But I like uh, obviously we mentioned this last uh, Thursday before the during the trade deadline. Uh, show that was a week ago today, right? Yeah, a week ago today. Uh, that uh, I like the acquisition. He can definitely help them, but unfortunately, he can't guard five guys simultaneously. Uh, you know, Durant's defense is good most of the time, uh, and I really don't blame him for not being a good defensive player all the time because he's got to do so many other things, including handle the ball and run the offense sometimes because they don't have a point guard. Uh, but you know, O'Neal can help. I'm just curious to see how this is all going to work out minutes-wise. And that's really the way that the NBA is. Uh, you know, the trade deadline is you know, roughly 30 games before the end of the regular season. And pretty much nothing rotation-wise makes any difference on any contending team until you know what their roster is after the trade deadline. And now we have a pretty good idea what the roster is after the trade deadline even though we're still not 100% sure how – or if Thaddeus Young hasn't officially been signed, right? No, I mean, that's, that's still that's just been just a, a report. report. Yeah. Right. So – but I'm not sure how much he can help. He's like 18 years, literally. I'm not exaggerating. He's like 18 years in his NBA career. He was a really good player the last decade, Yeah, in the during the last decade, not necessarily this decade. And I haven't seen enough of him in the last year or so to know how much he can still contribute. Uh, I would be shocked if Gallinari can do anything if he comes here, which is also a report out there. Uh, but you know, I'm not really sure what else they uh, – uh, who else could be uh, – let's just say all those guys are on their roster. Um, I would be really – I think it would be a pleasant surprise if either of those guys were any kind of contributor the rest of the season. Yeah, I think, you know, the Suns have to be at a point where they're not just going to 
uh, like they're going to want to try to identify players that can be part of the playoff rotation. I understand the playoff rotation really shrinks down when you get to the playoffs here. So uh, you, you're kind of limited with the number and types of players that can come aboard your situation. Uh, so I'll be curious to see if maybe that's where there's been an identi- identifying that you might want him, but maybe it's not all going to work out uh, because otherwise it, does it really make a whole lot of sense to just keep filling up the roster with players that aren't going to be getting playing time. I admire their effort here. And I think they're, you know, these guys are worth a chance for sure. Not, not, I, don't, I don't know if Gallinari is. I mean, that's just kind of a, a desperation dart throw. And if it works great, if not, you know, no big deal. Uh, you know, I don't even know if he'll be on the roster by the time the end of the season hits. Uh, if based on what we saw, or what, you know, I didn't really watch him at all for Detroit this year, but, you know, they tried to trade him before the deadline and there was like zero interest in the trade market for him and they just bought him out and that's how apparently he might end up with the Suns. Uh, but, you know, that's, uh, that's something to pay attention to is just the rotation the rest of the season and whether somebody steps up. I really can't imagine there's going to be a surprise guy that we have had here on the roster. The Suns have had on the roster for the entire season. That's going to suddenly become a different player in the last, you know, less than 30 games of the regular season. If we kind of know what we've got, then we just got to find out, uh, yeah, how they're going to employ certain guys in certain situations. And, uh, we got a little bit of an idea on with the O'Ne- with O'Neal on the Tuesday night game against Sacramento is that he basically played all the major minutes down the stretch of that game. Uh, yes, yes, he did. When it comes to but 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 Beal, but Beal left that game, remember too. So I'm not sure if that would have happened had Beal been playing in that game at the in the fourth quarter. Uh, across the league yesterday, the Lakers topped the Jazz 138-122. to 122. Rhea, uh, Rui Hachimura, 36 points. Anthony Davis, 37 points, 15 boards. LeBron didn't play with a sore left ankle. Clippers beat the Warriors 130-125. to 125. T- time, t- time out here, Lo- sorry to interrupt, but time out on this. One problem I do have with the NBA that I think everybody should have is these guys that don't play the game before the All-Star break, yeah, because of a supposed injury, and then you know, like ten seconds after the game is over, said, "Oh, I'm good for the All Star game." Uh, there should be something that you, know, you can't do that unless you have a you know I don't know how you can prove it, but it's just you know like I said, I mean the dude's out with a quote injury, and then immediately after the game is over, oh I'll be good on Sunday. I'll be there for the All Star game. Agreed. Okay, great. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, that, that, if I'm the Lakers, I'm just kind of, if I'm a Laker player, I'm just kind of going, yeah, imagine if they had lost that game last night. And, you know, they're fighting for playoff positioning and try to uh, stay out of the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the tournament, uh, the, uh, the, the play-in tournament to get into the playoffs. If I were a Laker teammate and they lost that game, I'd be just going, what the hell? I mean, come on, he's going to play in the All-Star game and he couldn't help us on Thursday night? Or Wednesday night, I guess it was. Sorry, Wednesday night. Uh, I'd be ups- I'd be upset about that. I agree. 
Uh, the Clippers beat the Warriors, another team, the Warriors trying to uh, fight their way into the play-in tournament, 130-125. to 125. The Warriors gave up six offensive boards in the fourth quarter, and they were outscored 44-28 to 28 as the Clippers were able to come back from 12 down. Steph Curry, his yeah. heroics, 41 points, but too many breakdowns as a team. James Harden, 26 points. Paul George, 24 points. And as you had identified in yesterday's show, Kawhi Leonard was out. And Clay Thompson committed one of the dumbest fouls in the history of the NBA, and Steve Kerr lost his mind. That's like the first thing I saw in my uh, in my one of my text alerts overnight. And uh, if anybody hadn't seen that, I mean, just check it out. They're they're you know, they're up three points, and he didn't obviously know the score. Took the intentional foul that he shouldn't have taken, and that was pretty much the end of the game. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not great there. As it is for the NBA standings, the Timberwolves are still out in front. They play uh, They play tonight, actually, at the Blazers, 38-16. and 16. The Thunder, 37-17. and 17. The Clippers, 36-17. and 17. The Nuggets, 36-19. and 19. Then the Suns, they're in fifth at 33-22. and 22. The Pelicans, 33-22. and 22. The Mavericks, 32-23. and 23. The Kings, 31-23. and 23. Lakers, 30-26. And, and the Warriors back to 500 now at 26 and 26. On the other side of the break, we'll dive into ASU men's hoops. They played tonight and they got a victory. We'll talk a little bit about that and more from around college basketball as you're listening to the Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. Extra point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. As a reminder, we're here with you today, this Thursday, February 15th. We're with you tomorrow, but we're off on Friday. The Sports Zone is back at 10 a.m. on Tuesday. Off, and the- off, on, off on Monday, not Friday. Oh, yes, off that's what Monday. I meant. We're here Friday, yeah, off yeah. on Monday. Yeah. Uh, and then you're back in the sports zone on Tuesday and the extra point follow suit on Wednesday. So I will repeat that later and do it with less confusion. Uh, as it is for <laughs> ASU. We, we, we have faith in you. All right. Thank you. I appreciate uh, that. Yes. Okay. No problem. ASU men's basketball. They picked up a 79 to 61 win over Oregon State. Neal off the bench, 21 points as a team. They shot 57.7% from the field and 35% from three. 35% is like a huge boost. Uh, Oregon State, 44.6% from the field and 27.8% from three. But it was a second half surge there for ASU. It really actually started towards the end of the first half. I mean, this they were trailing uh, 30 to 27. They went on a 32 to 8 run at that point that bridged the uh, end of the first half and started the second half. That gave them a 59 to 38 lead, and then just coasted the rest of the way. Yeah, you know, it was uh, you know, Oregon State's bad. Uh, they have not won a uh, they haven't won a game away from Corvallis the entire season, non-conference or conference. 
they're 0-7 away from Corvallis, uh, and now they've lost five in a row overall. Uh, this was pretty much unwatchable basketball, quite frankly. In the first half, ASU, which rarely turns the ball over for the season, uh, turned it. Actually, they only averaged 10 turnovers per game, which is in the, you know, the top 50 of the country. Uh, they turned it over 10 times in the first half of this game, and uh, that's why they were struggling and behind at 30-27. to 27. They cleaned that up in the second half. Oregon State only had one turnover in the first half, but they had 14 in the second half. Uh, so it was a difficult watch, and uh, I guess probably what you would expect from you know, what Oregon State's now last place in the conference after losing this game last night. And the ASU, a pretty mediocre team, and you know they had uh, they have now won two in a row, you know, which is you know a, you know certainly I, I wouldn't have predicted that they'd won two in a row last week at this time uh, after they uh, you know they, they lost the first half of the Rocky Mountain trip last week. Uh, but ASU, uh, you know, they had lost you know, five straight and seven out of eight before they won that game last last Saturday at Utah. So maybe they've turned things around. I doubt it. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, we'll get a better idea on Saturday when they play in Tucson against the U of A. Uh, yes, that's the next time they compete. Uh, ASU playing U of A in Tucson on Saturday. A brief look here at Joe Lenardi's uh, men's NCAA basketball bracketology with an update here. His last four in right now are New Mexico, Ole Miss, Nevada, and Utah. Yeah, it's a, Utah is like eighth in the conference. Uh, and they have not won a road game uh, in conference play. Not one, zero. Uh, so it does, I think this – I don't – like any of those teams you just mentioned there, this is a, uh, the bottom part of the uh, NCAA tournament. Uh, these teams that are actually going to be say from uh, maybe like nine seeds on down. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say nine. Let's go 10 seeds on down. Uh, there's going to be some pretty bad teams because they've got to fill the field of 68. This is a really shallow group. And now I heard yesterday that, the NCAA wants to expand the tournament field to like a billion teams. Uh, there are already too many damn teams in here already at 68, and this year proves it more than we've seen in recent years. Uh, yeah, and then you have the first four out, Wake Forest, Gonzaga, Seton Hall, and Cincinnati, and I'll lump these together here as well. The next four out after that, St. John's, Colorado, Providence, and Villanova. And none of those teams deserve to be in. Uh, the last, you know, the last four that you mentioned there, I can make a case for Wake Forest, but they got started. They got, they need some big wins. I mean, they've, uh, they've proven they can beat bad teams and they can just out basically outscore bad teams because they have a very dynamic starting five offensively, but they don't guard people particularly well. And that's why they really haven't gotten any, uh, you know, I don't know if they have any signature wins this season. Not that I can remember off the top of my head, but, uh, Unfortunately, uh, it looks like it's kind of a – I think the depth of the field this year for the NCAA tournament is weak. I think the top – you know, I think there's two clear top uh, top teams to me uh, with uh, Connecticut and Purdue. And then I think there is like the next group of teams. And I haven't done a, an official list here, which I'm actually going to do this weekend. You know, they're going to take part of the long weekend that we have since we won't be here on Monday and I'm going to kind of uh, you know expand and kind of start a list here. But I'm guessing 
that after those top two teams, I think the next little batch of teams you can kind of put together is probably goes to like number three to like number 20. And then there's a big drop after that. And those teams at least deserve to be in the NCAA tournament after, say, 20 teams. Uh, but, uh, you know, as I mentioned, the last half of the field for the most part, I'm going to do math here, so this is going to be tricky. Last quarter of the field, at least, uh, not even counting the garbage conference teams that get in because of their automatic bids, but you know the ones that are from major conferences, a lot of those teams, including almost everybody, every team that you just read there near the bottom of Lenardi's bracket right now, those teams really are not worthy of being in the NCAA tournament this year, but because they have to fill 68 teams, they're going to be in. Now, how about for the one seeds here? Number one overall is Purdue. They're number one seed in the Midwest. UConn, number one in the East. Houston, number one in the South. And in Joe Lenardi's bracketology here, Arizona sitting at number one in the West. How surprising now they're sitting as a one seed in projections? Not at all. And that's something I've actually talked about in the sports zone for you know, basically the whole week here. Um, you know, they, they really after Tennessee lost that game at Texas A&M last week, you kind of had to move them out. Uh, Marquette would be the only other team I would think would be possibly considered to be a number one uh, seed right now. You know, North Carolina got drilled and run out of the building in the Carrier Dome in Syracuse on uh, Tuesday night, so that kind of uh, you know, certainly damages their chances of being a number one seed. So not surprised at all, and we got to have four number one seeds. And the U of A did have some wins in November and early December against quality opponents. The thing that uh, kind of hampers the U of A here a little bit is the fact that there are so few quad one opportunities in the Pac-12 because the conference is so down. As it all as it is in all for Joe Lenardi's bracketology, Big 12 has nine teams, SEC nine teams, Big 10 six teams, Mountain West six teams, the Big East four teams, the ACC four teams, and the Pac-12 at three teams. Speaking of the Pac-12, Stanford and Washington square off tonight at 7 p.m. on ESPN2. Colorado, UCLA, 7 p.m. ESPN. Cal and WSU, 8 p.m. on the Pac-12. In Utah and USC, 9 p.m. on FS1. I know it's just hard to sometimes look these things up, but you know Washington State, uh, you know somebody that I, you know, shunned aside last week, and I shouldn't have. I did admit earlier this week that uh, I was. Uh, too quick to shun them aside. Uh, they're playing really well. In fact, you can make a case, and uh, you know, I could, you know, I'm not going to get into it in detail right now, but you know, the case can be made that if anybody in the Pac-12 right now, Washington State's actually playing the best basketball. On the other side of the break, we'll take your phone calls. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. Uh, we'll certainly talk about the NBA college hoops if you like. We're also going to transition over to the NFL. Uh, it was announced shortly after we got off the air yesterday uh, that Steve Wilkes and the 49ers parting ways. So we'll touch on a little bit more from that uh, the 49ers, the defense. And then I also have a statistic here from the Chiefs and Steve Spagnolo and the defense that he ran in Super Bowl 58. So we'll get into that on the other side of the break. But if you'd like to chime in, voice your opinion, 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll take your calls now and chat with you on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060.
Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. I'll try this again. We're with you here on this Thursday, February 15th. We're with you here on Friday. Then we are not here on Monday. The Sports Zone is back with you on Tuesday, and the Extra Points follow suit on Wednesday, returning next week. That's the plan Neil. here. Nailed it. Yes. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. E- uh, even though I had actually forgotten until you mentioned this yesterday, we weren't here on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> well, glad glad I was able to help. Um, yeah, I kind of went, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the numbers here. So the 49ers, they uh, announced that they parted ways from Steve Wilkes, their defensive coordinator, yesterday. This news came down just shortly after we had uh, logged off yesterday around 1 o'clock. So when you look at uh, Steve Wilkes and the 49ers defense here, taking a look at the 49ers from 2022 when they were under D'Amico Ryans, the defense ranked number one in EPA per play. They ranked 12th in 2023 under Wilkes. The run defense ranked number two in 2022, ranked number 26 in 2023. You also... I know it's so long ago to remember back to when there maybe were some uh, identifiable struggles with the defense and Steve Wilkes was moved from the booth down to the sideline. So that was something that did happen midway through the year for the 49ers on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Shanahan did have a press conference yesterday discussing the move and said, quote, it just ended up not being the right fit. It was harder than it needed to be uh, in regards to the defense. Yeah, and actually, I mentioned this when Wilkes was hired in last offseason. It seemed to be kind of an odd fit uh, because of what the 49ers have done as far as scheme-wise uh, with Ryans and also Robert Sala before that uh, was you know not exactly what we've seen out of Wilkes, whether he was uh, you know here with the Cardinals in his one year as the head coach or when he uh, was in Carolina as a defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach. It just seemed to be kind of strange. Uh, so I'm not really surprised. In his defense, if there is a defense for him, yeah, I think it's difficult to compare some of those numbers uh, from D'Amico Ryan's the final year that Ryan's was the coordinator in San Francisco to this year because that year that Ryan's was in San Francisco, while the 49ers had uh, the, lead, uh, the lead the majority of the games uh, this year, Remember, they had a couple of games where they uh, were, had guys out and they were chasing points a little bit and you know so forth. So I don't know what the time differential was, but I'm guessing uh, that they actually were probably ahead more in games in uh, 2022 than they were in 2023. And uh, that obviously makes it easier for any defense, uh, but especially a defense that has such a dominating front seven when they're rushing the passer. Uh, and just, you know, they, that's pretty much all they have to think about. Uh, so I think that that's the one defense. But like I mentioned, and like I said, I said this all the way back to when he got hired and when we did the uh, 
season preview of the 49ers, which I believe was in July of last year with Matt Mayoko, that it just seemed to be kind of a strange fit to me. Now, it is kind of also interesting because we saw the struggles in the postseason for the 49ers. I mean, uh, that what did the Lions have? A hundred and nearly 180 yards rushing in the first half. We had identified some of those rush lanes and things of that nature. And the defense for the 49ers really seemed to slow things down for the Chiefs. Uh, ultimately, they didn't come away with the victory. But I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are just focusing in on the Super Bowl and kind of. Uh, talking about how they're placing blame in the blame game and maybe not necessarily looking at the whole totality of what you were talking about with uh, the fit and just kind of the style and the scheme and that it just kind of didn't make sense with with the flow of what uh, they wanted to do and personnel-wise too. Yeah, also I think a lot of people forget watching, apparently watching the Super Bowl that until those last two drives – uh, you know, basically the only touchdown the 49ers gave up in that game was after a muffed punt or whatever we're supposed to call that fumble punt that resulted in a one-play 15-yard touchdown drive roughly. Uh, that was it until the final two drives when they drove the field. Uh, yes, in- indeed. So now I want to shift over to the Chiefs and this statistic that I saw for Steve Spagnolo. So the Chiefs in the Super Bowl played man on 60.6% of dropbacks per true media sports. That's the highest rate by a Chiefs team in any game of the Steve Spagnolo era. There had only ever been four games over 50%. That is a wild adjustment there because you were talking a lot about, you know, the Ravens and their inability to get out of zone and their inability to make that adjustment. Talk about in an adjustment. I know you had two weeks to prepare, but uh, what he was able to dial up and how his players were able to adapt to what they wanted to do. Well, and the big adjustment came at halftime because, you know, there was limited plays in that first half. Remember, the 49ers had the ball for almost 20 minutes in the first half. So there were fewer defensive snaps for them, uh, the Chiefs' defense. But in the first half, they played a lot of zone in that first half. In fact, I'm guessing the majority of the snaps were zone defense in that first half. And it was almost 100% man in the second half after halftime. The other thing here, Steve Spagnolo getting a contract extension to stay with the Chiefs. Also seeing a ton of sentiment uh, online from players uh, as well as uh, Rams front office uh, saying that uh, Steve Spagnolo deserves another shot as being a head coach. Well, and he could be happening this year because all no, those jobs are filled. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I can't imagine he's going to get any dumber in 2024. <laughs> so uh, I would assume there'll be some coaching openings after the 2024 season. Uh, so does he want to be a head coach again? Some coordinators, you know, after they've done the head coaching thing, which uh, for him was, you know, I would say you know, a failure uh, when he was with the Rams. Uh, does he want to do it again? Do we know that for sure? I don't. Uh, no, I don't think he's I, – I have not heard a single thing publicly um, that that is something that he wants to take on again. If I were another NFL team, I would certainly be interested in him, but, uh, like, uh, it's got to be a two-way street here. 
The other thing that I do want to make mention of and acknowledge here is the horrific end to the Chiefs Super Bowl parade from yesterday in which the authorities said resulted in one person killed and at least 22 people shot and among 11 of those victims were children. Police saying that three have been detained uh, for what ended up transpiring yesterday and so obviously thoughts are with the family and with the community and just Mm -hmm. awful that something that is supposed to bring people together to uh, celebrate ends in this tragedy yeah two quick things i am not sure what they just said because uh you know they just uh, we were doing the show here but they just had another press conference in kansas city in the last few minutes and i'm not sure what the latest update was on that uh so there's that and then the other thing is uh i don't get terribly political on this uh, show or during the extra during this is the extra point right during the sports zone uh but you know i think i've made my feelings about gun gun control pretty well known over the years in my syndicated days and here at uh, KDUS. I do think that they acknowledged, uh, at least police have identified, that it happened because of um, a disagreement between people in the crowd. So it wasn't a planned activity is what they are identifying, uh, at least the latest that I have seen on that report. One more segment to go in hour number one is next. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Wrapping up hour number one of this Thursday, February 15th edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. The Genesis Invitational from Riviera is underway in California. Out in front, you have Patrick Cantlay and Jordan Spieth, each four under par through seven Conditions are pristine out there. Uh, I was also kind of curious to know if we would see some lower scoring than normal just because of all the rain that they've had as well, uh, making those greens a little bit more receptible. We talked about how the greens themselves were... um, you know, kind of on the smaller side of things and shot shaping is really important, but when they're really baked out and firm, makes it even more imperative to be able to have that up and down game from around the greens. But if they're a little bit softer and more receptive, uh, guys are going to be able to be a little bit more aggressive. So curious to note if that's going to result in maybe a lower scoring four-day total than we've seen in years past. Tied for third. Bo Hostler, Charlie Hoffman, and Lucas Glover, as well as Victor Hovland and Grayson Murray. I uh, just want to point out here, Charlie Hoffman, he's the one that was in the playoff against Nick Taylor last week. He had to play his way into this event by finishing uh, second last week, just continuing with the good vibes, the good role. Uh, sometimes that happens in golf when you're just seeing things a whole lot different. You're in a zone and you're playing well week to week. And maybe that's what we're seeing from Charlie Hoffman, at least here early on a Thursday. As for Victor Hovland, uh, he was kind of upset with how his game was uh, forming when he teed it up at the Farmers as well as AT&T Pebble Beach. He was slated to play in the WM Phoenix Open and ended up withdrawing to go home and work with his coach. Maybe they have found something here in the early going. As it is for our guys, uh, Adam Svensson, he was our long shot uh, to win the tournament. He's 200 
rounder through nine. That's good for a tie for seventh. Adam Scott, he is yet to tee off. Colin Morikawa, he is yet to tee off. Matt Fitzpatrick, he has yet to tee off. So uh, some guys that we're following yet to get going, as well as Sahith Tagala. So we'll continue to monitor that. Uh, as the day unfolds. But I saw this statistic here from Justin Ray on X. He always comes with the stats. He always comes with things that are just pretty mind-boggling, and this statistic is absolutely that. Tournament win percentage over the last 15 seasons on the PGA Tour. Those that have led after round one convert going on to win the tournament 15% of the time. Leading after round two convert winning 28.3% of the time. Leading after round three convert and win 41.3% of the time. Now here's Tiger Woods' win percentage for his career on tour. This is just eye-popping. When he leads after round one, 62.5% of the time he converts that into a win. Lead after round two, 85.3% of the time. And leading after round three, 95.7%. That's kind of why he has established himself as well, he, the, the greatest golfer of all time. I know that uh, Bob listening there might have an argument or two about that with Jack Nicholas uh, from the Ohio State. But honestly, those win percentages and his ability to uh, just put the pedal to the metal and keep on playing golf and the way that he runs away from guys when he was in his prime, truly, truly remarkable stuff. We'll have more on the PGA Tour a little bit later on. But as we kickstart our number two, We have the NFL free agent top 50 rankings from Fox Sports. We'll dive into the top 10 as well as how some pertain to the Arizona Cardinals and their needs and free agents to potentially be on the lookout for. So we'll do that to get things started in hour number two. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060.